You're listening to audio from Embassy Church. We exist to advance the message and ministry of Jesus in the city of Bloomington, on the campus of IU, and to the ends of the earth. Amen. How are we doing, Embassy? Oh my goodness. How are we doing, Embassy? It is February and like, well, it feels like 70, but I've gotten used to the Midwest. Um, so it's probably 30 degrees, but February, 30 degrees is amazing. So if you're not happy, you should be. Um, and look, we're in the Lord's house. This is great. This is great. Um, I, um, yeah, I, I, Sundays like this are fun. We call them six out of 10 Sundays um, because we just try and hold it together. Um, all of our college students are gone. Uh, they are in Des Moines, Iowa uh, at the Salt Conference. And um, yeah, we're just trying to not fall apart. Um, it's kind of also like a adult swim Sunday. Um, y'all remember that? Like when you're kids, right? Like you'd hear that whistle and it's like kids get out of the pool. And then like, it wasn't ever adult swim because the adults that would stay in the pool would just walk around. You know, I don't know why they just didn't call it adult walk around, but that was like the worst like hour of my life as a child growing up because I grew up at the pool. Um, so this is like an adult swim Sunday, you know? Um, and look, it's not as exciting in the pool without like the kids splashing around. Um, energy level is a little low on the first set. So I'm gonna challenge us, like let's just splash around a little bit, if you will, on the second set. Let's have a good time. We got a whole void up here where our college students used to sit. Um, but look, we're gonna have a great time without them. So. Um, I want to show a picture real quick uh, where I was at. I got back around midnight, 12.30 last night, flew in because I just couldn't stand to not be with you guys on a Sunday morning. Um, so wanted to, uh, to get back here. I was in Des Moines uh, for the weekend, um, went in, the lead pastors from our network, which uh, is about 30 churches now, mostly Big Ten, Big 12 schools uh, that all have salt companies. Uh, we're gathering together on Thursday. Uh, Friday, the conference started, and this is a pick. Um, from the back row, right, because I'm like an adult, so uh, as an adult, you stand in the back awkwardly and kind of stare at, you know, what the kids are doing. Um, but there's about 5,000 students in that room, uh, all from salt companies from all over the country. I mean, from Syracuse, Florida, even uh, there, I think there's even possibly some students from Oregon, which we're about to plant um, here this next fall, but a pretty incredible moment um, just to experience and take it in. Uh, and I show it to you so that you realize, again, that we're a part of a larger family here. Uh, as we're building this outpost of the kingdom here in Bloomington uh, and trying to reach the next generation uh, on that campus, um, man, people are doing that all around us. And so for me, it was just such an encouragement to my soul uh, to be around other like-minded people, just asking God to do um, what he does, which is just transform the world. Um, revival start on the backs of two things believing prayer in college students, right? If you study church history, if you look at the, the Gospels and the, the book of Acts, um, Jesus was leading teenagers. Um, and so it's a powerful thing uh, to get around the younger generation and see them just on fire for the Lord. Um, and so uh, it's, it's just an awesome thing we get to be a part of here, uh, planting embassy. So um, we are going to finish out our sermon series. So if you got a Bible, um, turn with me, or you can use uh, your phone, uh, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, if you're new to the Bible, Bible's unfamiliar to you, don't be shy about stopping by the table of contents for directions. Uh, but this is the book that we've been in. Um, actually, we we're in the first half of it this fall, uh, back half of it um, here uh, this spring. And we've titled the sermon series Union. 
um, because Ephesians is this epistle to the church. Um, and the church is the new society that God is remaking in Jesus. Um, and so Ephesians is all about our oneness with God um, because of what the gospel has accomplished for us. Um, and then our oneness with one another. Uh, it's all about um, uh, unity. In this back half of uh, Ephesians because um, you can really break the book in half, is really about gospel praxis. If all these things are true in chapters 1, 2, and 3, this should be so, and the church should look like this. And hopefully you've enjoyed um, just sitting in this book as much as maybe I've enjoyed preaching it, but it's been super challenging to get to the, the really nitty-gritty and going, man, does that describe Embassy Church? Like when I look at Ephesians Chapter 4, 5, and 6, does embassy look like that? Do we look like that as a community? Do I look like that uh, as a believer? Um, and, and, and I think in the best way, challenging and encouraging. Uh, and I think as we close out here in chapter 6, um, even more so, um, because we're going to close out in a pretty famous passage about the armor of God, about spiritual warfare. And I have to say this on the front end, that this is, um, this is probably the biggest cultural hurdle that I have to get over in this entire series. Um, uh, this text right here probably has the largest hurdle for us to get over. Because we live in such a materialistic culture that if you can't access something with your five senses, it doesn't exist. It's kind of how um, our worldview works, right? The rest of the world doesn't see it that way. We're actually in the minority uh, in modern times, and we're definitely in the minority when you look at ancient times. Um, but there is a hurdle we have to get over when we start talking about the spiritual realms, okay? The things that we can't, you know, see, touch, taste, feel, hear, right? Um, and so um, it's really important we get this right. It's really important we understand the Bible's estimation of Satan and his schemes and what you're actually up against um, if you're just a creature of God, right? Um, and what you're definitely up against if you're a child of God. Okay, so um, I'm going to start us in verse 10. I'm going to walk us all the way through verse 20. Um, I'm actually going to kind of leave out 21 and 24. I'll leave that for you, Eric, on the back. We'll, we'll do a, a little time of kind of debriefing um, even the whole series. But I want to read for us um, in Ephesians 6.10. But before I do, I want to share a quick little story. So um, I have four kiddos now, um, three girls, one little boy, uh, and... If you come to my house, uh, you just might meet Moana. Um, she lives in my house. Um, she shows up randomly. Um, and sometimes it's my four-year-old Emma, but sometimes it's like literally Moana. And you talk to Emma, and Emma's not there. It's Moana, right? And so it's cute, right? And if you have kids, like you've experienced this. If you have boys, maybe they're Spider-Man. But like as a four-year-old, they're in it. And whatever costume they're wearing, you know, it's like they transform into that person. There's power in like Moana's dress, right? And it's not just singing and dancing, like, like Moana is almost like a goddess in our house because she can just like, somehow she gets some Elsa powers. I don't know, she, some things are worked in there, you know? Um, all the Disney kind of stories run together. But like, it is real when my four-year-old um, puts on that dress that she thinks, man, she's got some superpowers. And again, especially like, I don't know if you grew up as a kid. I grew up, I love Ninja Turtles, right? You, so you put the, the Leonardo like half shell on and you're just like, you're ready to kick butt and eat pizza, you know? Um, they got to bring that back, by the way, because Ninja Turtles rocked. Um, Ninja Turtles, who comes up with that? Um, but I have uh, a 12-year-old nephew and I still remember when we lived in Baton Rouge, he would come down, walk, we lived five doors down um, from my brother and his kiddos and he'd walk down in his Spider-Man costume and he was Spider-Man. 
Like he's shooting webs. And if you don't dodge, like you're wrong, right? <laughs> and you're just like, okay, okay, I got you. Um, and, and I think there, there's something there that's, that's, that's cute when we think about a four-year-old. And, and, and we might think we grow out of it, but, but especially the guys in the room, you know, right? And you're going to finish my sentence when I start it, right? If you look good, you play good, right? You look good, you feel good, you feel good, you play good. But, but we wear Air Jordans, why? Because we think we get a little couple extra pep in our step, right? A couple extra inches when we put on our uniform. Ladies, Lululemon, like you don't even have to work out. You just put the pants on and you feel slimmer, right? Just walk around all day like you were going to work out, but you couldn't because you're so busy um, because you got so many other things to do and coffees and stuff to go to. But then you feel fit. Um, it's great. It's great. So like we have our uniforms too, right? And we put them on and there's a degree of like psychological like uh, transformation that happens. The Apostle Paul is playing on this idea uh, in here in this chapter, but using for their modern day, uh, the uniform that they would see every day, which is the Roman kit, okay? The, the, the armor of the Roman soldier. And he's talking to the Christians going, you're in a battle, and you need to be prepared or you're going to lose. Right? You are on the front lines. You need to not act like you don't have an enemy. And you need to realize all the resources that God has afforded you so you can stand against the evil one and the evil day. Okay? So that's where this passage is going. And so uh, I'm going to walk us through. And if you're a note taker, uh, I want you to see where we're really at. Okay? The state of conflict uh, that we're in uh, as just, again, creatures of God, let alone uh, children, um, the support we really need, okay, the resources that God gives us to succeed, uh, and then lastly, how do we proceed, okay? What's the offensive attack plan? Um, because um, unlike what I grew up learning, because I kind of grew up in church with the felt boards and all the things, right, and so we would have, like, been to VBS and probably made a Roman like outfit, you know, and like worn at home. Um, everything in this section isn't just defensive, right? There's a clear offensive play um, to this whole section, and we'll get to that. And so what's the offensive attack plan? How do we proceed? But let me start with the state of conflict. Ephesians 6, I'll start with this. I'm going to look in uh, verses 10 through 13. It says this, finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything, to take your stand. Okay, so we are told that we need to be strengthened by the Lord and his vast strength, that we need to be God-strong, God-strapped, God-supported, God-supplied so that we can stand against the schemes of the devil. And, and just to frame this out, um, make mo no mistake, especially if you're a Christian, that you're in a struggle that you are at war, and Ephesians 2 laid this out for us, right? Because in 2.2, it explains it this way, that you used to walk according to the ways of the world, according to the ruler or the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. 
In three, it says we used to previously live among those in the world in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children of wrath. All right, so this is battle language. This is fight language. All right, this is intense language, and it should be understood as such. Colossians, which is a mirror book to Ephesians, there were churches right next to each other, um, puts it this way in chapter 113, saying, God the Father, Paul writes it, God the Father has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. There is a war, there is a battle, there is a fight, and if you're a Christian, you have been delivered from the domain of darkness and been brought in the kingdom of the beloved son, the kingdom of light. And there's kingdoms at war, okay? Um, to give an illustration, um, it's almost as if, uh, you know, 200 years ago, you're a kiddo, um, maybe you're in England, maybe you're in France, but the Royal Navy shows up and you are enslaved, you're captured, you're pushed into service on a ship, and you're fighting for the enemy, and then if you are French, right, the French armada, if you will, shows up, there's a battle, and, and you are saved, right? You're brought back under French dominion, okay? If you've experienced that, you know, man, there's a very real war going on. I actually used to fight for the enemy, and now I've been saved, but that enemy is not done with, Okay, he's defeated, but he hasn't been destroyed. That's the state of affairs uh, that we're in. If we're a Christian, um, we are at least aware of it, or we should be, okay? Again, the cultural hurdle for us is we live in a materialistic world or a materialistic society where the spiritual world is at best out of sight, out of mind. At worst, it's considered with contempt, it's laughed at. It's laughable that I'm standing up here talking about some red guy in a pitchfork. That's how the world would think about Satan and his schemes. In an awesome read, if you haven't read it, um, C.S. Lewis writes a few things about this. Uh, he writes a book called The Screwtape Letters. Now, The Screwtape Letters um, is a take on Satan's schemes uh, in the form of of correspondence between an older devil and a younger one, between an older devil named Screwtape, who is an uncle, to a younger devil named Wormwood. Okay, really easy read. C.S. Lewis, um, man, a, a leading um, Christian in the 20th century in the UK um, and uh, just a, a champion of faith. But he writes this, um, and I'm going to read this quote in his opening preface uh, to the Screwtape letters, saying this, he says there's two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased, they being devils, are equally pleased with both errors and hail the materialist or the magician with the same delight. You hear that? Hail the materialist or the magician with the same delight. The error of the materialist is you give Satan and his schemes too little credit. The error of the magician is you give him too much credit. Okay, so I don't want us to fall in either ditch. I don't want us to underestimate. I don't want us to overestimate. I want us to rightly estimate the state of affairs in the battle that we are in. Now, if you go on in the paragraph, um, excuse me, in the book, um, a couple chapters in, some of the correspondence um, really hits at the materialistic view, the underestimation. I just want to read this paragraph uh, again for us. Um, 
this is Screwtape speaking to Wormwood, okay, and he's training them, him up. He's almost like apprenticing uh, him. He says this. He says, I don't think you'll have much difficulty in keeping the patient in the dark, right? So the concept is each, each person has a, a devil on their shoulder, if you will, and so older Screwtape is training up younger Wormwood and how uh, to do his job and steal, kill, and destroy. He says, I don't think you'll have much difficulty in keeping the patient in the dark, the fact that devils are predominantly comic figures in the modern imagination will help you. If any faint suspicion of your existence begins to rise in his mind, suggest to him a picture of something in red tights and persuade him that since he cannot believe in that, it's an old textbook method of confusing them, therefore he cannot believe in you. I mean, and what a, what a, a, a paragraph that captures the modern imagination of Satan and his schemes. And if you don't believe me, uh, you didn't watch the Grammys. Anybody watch the Grammys? A few people. I mean, I don't recommend it, um, but I turned it on. Um, and it's, it's what it always is. Um, and, and you may have been on social media. You may have saw the, the articles uh, following it. But, you know, Sam Smith, who is actually an artist that I, I love, uh, fantastic voice, uh, Kim Petrus, an artist I do not know, uh, performed their song, Unholy. You can imagine what the song's about, okay? Um, and the, the whole act is them actually dressing up um, as one a devil, the other in a cage, and then fiery flames. And what was shocking is that it wasn't shocking, right? That it was applauded, okay, by our cultural elites in the room, and almost like just laughed at. And I use it not to, to, to chime on the cultural bandwagon. I use it to illustrate the point that Satan's really good at what he does. And one of the things he does really well is get you to underestimate him and what he's really good at. And if he can get us thinking he's just a little red guy in a pitchfork, of course it's laughable that he exists. And it's laughable that there's a pastor standing up to 200 people in a room talking about it. But the Bible's estimation is that the devil is quite real. He is evil personified, and he is very good at what he does. He is a fallen angel that is on a mission to destroy everything that is good that God has created. And he was there in the garden in the beginning, whispering lies to our forefather Adam. And the brokenness that has happened in this world is all by his doing, but we don't have to stay there, right? Because God is ultimately working out his defeat or has defeated him and working out his destruction, okay? So we are in a state of war. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heaven. We are in a state of conflict, and we need to take it seriously, okay? So that's where we're at, 10 through 13. What about it? How can we succeed, right? Because what I don't want you to leave with is that like somehow there's this dualistic view uh, in the Bible's estimation of good and evil, of light and darkness, because it's not, right? There, there's not this just warring power and it's like, okay, well, is God going to win or Satan's going to win? God is clearly the prominent being in the universe. And the only things that Satan can accomplish happen because God in his divine wisdom, allows him a degree of wiggle room. And the cross has, has brought Satan's ultimate defeat, and Revelation promises his ultimate destruction. And we're in like the, the end times, the, the last shot still being fired at the end of the war. 
to use a, a World War II analogy that I've heard pastors use, um, when D-Day happened with the Russians pushing in from the Eastern Front um, and the Allied invasion in Normandy uh, happening with the Brits and, and the Americans and the Canadians um, and even the French, Germany was done. Like there was absolutely no chance for the war to be won, but it still had to be played out, okay? That's the Bible's estimation of where we're at in this moment, that the cross was the game-changing work of God to unveil and defeat and disempower Satan and his schemes, right? But we still have to stand in the evil day. And so God is going to give us resources to do that. What are the resources that you need, I need, to succeed? The support we need. Look at verse 14. So in the best way, we're not just told, hey, this is the fight. Good luck. Um, look at the resources God gives. Verse 14, stand. Stand, therefore, with truth like a belt around your weight, waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with the readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So again, the idea is we used to be Satan strong, Satan strapped, Satan supported, Satan supplied. And if you're a Christian, you were rescued, right? Christ broke in and you actually saw your sin for what it was as always over-promising, always under-delivering, and keeping you shackled to things that you actually didn't really want to do, but you didn't know you had any chance. And so the gospel breaks in, and, and there's freedom there. There's deliverance there. There's rescue there. And then we're, we're, we're transferred to Team Jesus, right? And we're given his resources. And we've seen this on the back end of Ephesians, um, but but we're called to actively then almost put on Christ as a, a, a daily kind of uh, exercise of knowing, man, okay, in the spiritual realms, we're in Christ, we're united in Christ, and so day in and day out, I want to live as if that's so. I want to live in him and, and be empowered by him to walk out life on this side of heaven. And so we see this armor, and I think what's so cool about it and, and what's um, often misunderstood is this passage is taken out and, and maybe given a little too much credence, and the challenge goes something like this. Man, there's a devil hiding behind every rock out there. Man, make sure you put on the armor. And it's almost a, a, a challenge to, to your effort. That's not the, the, the tenor of this passage. The tenor of this passage, which is why I'm not going to get super into the details of, of the armor and, and, you know, again, give you my VBS felt board experience from being a kid, but the tenor of this passage is to believe the gospel more today than you did yesterday. The way you put on Christ, Christian, is to apply the gospel to every circumstance, every thought, every conversation, every relationship. Putting on the armor of God is believing the gospel that he has won the victory in Christ Jesus. So I want you to hear me again. Satan has been defeated, past tense. We are in the last days. Shots are still being fired. It's still a war, but we can have confidence that we are on the winning side, and we know how the story ends. 
And that should empower you if you're a Christian. That should embolden you if you're a Christian. That should help you be able to stand in the evil day. Richard Kokin's a, a pastor in the UK, um, and he had some awesome insight into this, um, this idea of almost wearing Jesus as the armor um, and knowing that when we do, when we stand firm in the gospel, that we can overcome in him, okay? So don't hear me. I'm not saying grit it out, more effort, more energy. I'm saying he's provided the effort. Stand in him. Encourage your hearts. He's overcome. And so let me read through these, these verses again and just kind of point out. We see truth in verse 14, righteousness in verse 14, peace in verse 15, faith in verse 16, and salvation in verse 17. These kind of um, pieces of the Roman um, infantryman's kit, okay? And Richard Koken, again, um, draws this out, and I just thought it was so insightful. Uh, he goes back to Isaiah and about these promises of this Messiah, this Christ, this anointed champion to come. And I want you to listen to some of the descriptors, and you'll kind of see where Paul's actually getting this language. So with truth in verse 14, Isaiah 11.5 describes Christ to come as saying righteousness will be a belt around his hips. Faithfulness will be a belt around his waist. Isaiah 59, speaking about righteousness or a breastplate of righteousness tied to verse 14 says he being the messiah will put on righteousness as body armor peace in verse 15 he ties to isaiah 52 7 saying how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the herald who proclaims peace who brings news of good things verse 16 faith he ties to proverbs 30 saying that every word of god 30 verse 5, every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Verse 17, salvation. Isaiah 59, 17, saying, he being the Messiah, the Christ, put on a helmet of salvation on his head. And then verse 17, the word of God. Isaiah 49, 2, he made my words like a sharp sword. Don't you see that? Do you get the tenor and the tone of this passage? If you're a Christian, this should just be super affirming, not complicated, right? You, this isn't a list for you to go, man, I, I got a helmet on, but I don't got a breastplate, and like, oh, gosh, I lost today, right? We love to like look at Scripture and make, make these lists out. It doesn't work that way. What Paul is imploring the Ephesian church then, what he's imploring us now is, man, God has given you everything you need to overcome in life. All you got to do is trust in Jesus. He's accomplished it. Stand in the gospel, and then you'll stand firm. Isn't that encouraging? You know, I want you to think back to, to your Old Testament stories. Think of, of, of the famous one with, with David and Goliath, right? David shows up, and he's like, who's this giant that's cursing God, and why isn't anybody doing anything about it? And he says, I'll fight him. And you know what he does? Remember what he does? He goes to Saul, and what does Saul give him? Armor. Right? And if you read my children's Bible, you have this little scrawny David, and he's just like got this massive suit of armor on. He's like, this doesn't work. I can't move. I can't run. I certainly can't just throw my sling. And, and I think children's books just, they get it wrong when it comes to this story and illustrating it. Because the idea is almost that David went out, out from Saul without armor. 
And nothing could be further from the truth. David didn't have Saul's armor. He didn't have physical armor, right? But he had, he had the Lord. He had spiritual armor. David was more armed walking out in the Lord than he would have been walking out in Saul's armor. Translation for the Christian today. The armor that can actually stand against Satan's schemes is the truth of the gospel that cuts through the lies. It's not your effort. It's not your energy. You can't overcome. Satan's too good at what he does. And what Satan does better than anything is lies. His only real power is deception. It's getting us to not believe that God is as good as he really is. He's as for us as he really is. That's where Satan gets in there. So what dispels those lies? What is the only defense that actually stand against something so effective? It's the truth of the gospel. That's why the gospel is so powerful. It changes us from the inside out. And it's not the start of things. It's the continuation of it. It's not the ABCs of Christianity. It's the A to Z. And so the way we put on the armor of God day in and day out is we believe the gospel and we replace lies with truth, and we stand firm in the Lord. So that's the resources we need to succeed. What about the offensive attack plan? This is what I love about this whole passage and why we're not stopping at verse 17, because it carries on in these last three verses. Okay, Make no mistake, there's defensive resources there. Okay, But now Paul's going to flip to the offense. This is what it says in verses 18 through 20. Pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all saints. Pray also for me that the message may be given me, excuse me, may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. Don't you see what the offensive weapon is? It's prayer. It's prayer. Prayer, if we're going to stay with our, um, our kind of military analogy, prayer is like comms, right? It's, it's communications, okay? Prayer is, is receiving intelligence from the Lord of like what's really going on, right? With our own physical eyes, we really can't see a lot of situations, but if you just hit your knees, and man, as a parent, this is more true than anything, right? You're just like befuddled by your kid and so frustrated, and if you just like hit your knees and start talking to the Lord, there's just a clarity that comes, and you start to see reality as it actually is in situations as they actually are. Prayer, prayer gives us sight as Christians. God helps us see what's really going on here. That person just lost their mind on me and everything in my flesh wanted to respond in kind. But with the self-control of the Spirit, I didn't and I'm sitting here talking to the Lord about it and oh, this is going on. Or that makes sense. Or man, I need to extend grace because there's gotta be something else to the story. Don't you see the power of prayer? It's almost like night vision goggles that you put on and a resource that we don't indulge in as much as we should. 
of getting intelligence from the Lord, if you will. And I'm not talking about, man, prophecy or things like that, and maybe that's a spiritual gift for you, but I'm just saying just getting quiet before the Lord is so powerful. And being conformed by just sitting in prayer. And it's almost like you're calling in air support, right? You're just like, God, I can't, I can't handle this. I need some help. Like prayer is the comms. It's the communication in the battle. And it's something we shouldn't go in battle without. Verse 18 is talking about prayer in all kinds of ways. Let's look at the language. All occasions, all kinds of prayers, all perseverance, all the Lord's people. I love the offensive shift in this text. And how do we pierce through the lies of Satan? We stand in the gospel of truth and we talk to the Lord so that we understand what's true, what's reality as God sees it. And it's powerful. Paul in verse 19, I've always loved this verse because you have this this. Just incredible apostle, right? This man wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, planted, I mean, uh, countless churches. So countless people come to the Lord, and look what he asked for. He asked for prayer. And look at what he asked the Ephesian church to pray for him for. Pray for me. Pray that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. See, Paul gets it. The greatest offensive weapon against the schemes of Satan is the truth of God. It's the gospel that comes in and says, God is unequivocally for you. If you ever doubted it before, you can't doubt it when you see God in the flesh giving his life up on the cross for your sins and mine. Right? That, that's transformative. And what Paul asked for is just boldness. Boldness, because there's hesitancy at times, right? He's human. Just like you and me, when, when we want to speak up and, and, and say what's true, but we, we find it hard to. You're with a friend in a tough conversation or with, with, with family that, that it, man, we just don't, we don't go there. It's like politics. With coworkers. But make no mistake, you don't understand the battle that's raging and the victory that Christ has won unless you have somebody explain it to you and point to the word of God and go, this is the Bible's estimation of these things. And these are true. Like people don't just go, man, like that, that dude was really nice. I think he's a Christian and I think he would want me to be a Christian too. Like no one deduces that from when you help them change a tire, you know, or you open a door. We kind of think that's like, I'm just going to be kind. No, the challenge here is, is, is to open our mouths, and, and, and we need to be praying for ourselves and for one another, just like Paul going, man, if this is true, if this is reality, as the Bible estimates it, and there's a spiritual cosmic battle raging, I mean, if you're a Christian, goodness gracious, you see it, because you've been transferred out of the kingdom of Satan and darkness and in the kingdom of light and the beloved Son, the only way to see others rescued and freed is to open our mouths and communicate the truth of the gospel to split through the lies. God is good. God is for you. Let me tell you about what he did 
by giving his son. See, Paul is an ambassador, an ambassador is someone that speaks up and speaks for someone. Not because that someone can't speak, whether it be a king or a president, president, but because that ambassador is in a place where that king or that president is not. And you and I are in places in a, in, in a way where, where, where God is not, right? We're not going to get into the omnipotence thing, all that kind of stuff. But you get what I'm saying? He has you uniquely, me uniquely, in the family that we're in, in the workspace that we're in, in the CrossFit gym that we're in. Let's, I'm not in a CrossFit gym, right? Jonathan's in a CrossFit gym. He's got you where he's got you so that you can speak up. And what a beautiful prayer. What a prayer that you can pray for yourself. Give me boldness, Lord. Help me say what's so. Speak what's true. Help me see truth from lie and actually call it out for what it is. You know, when you think about this whole chunk of Scripture, again, I don't want it to be lost, that the only way that you and I can put on the armor of God and so as we're, we're putting on Christ, right? But I, I want you to think about the connection here. You and I can stand firm in the evil day. You and I can take up the full armor of God and stand against the schemes of Satan because Jesus didn't 2,000 years ago. Jesus didn't stand firm. You and I can put on armor because Jesus allowed his tunic to be torn and the king of the universe allowed himself to be nailed to a cross. Right? And this is why we celebrate not just the cross, but then we celebrate the resurrection three days later because it assured the victory over Satan and his schemes. He overcome. His victory is now our victory. And those who stand in him can stand in confidence and in victory that, that whatever comes, we're going to overcome. That's the beauty and the power of the gospel. It pierces through the lies because that's all Satan has, right? He's, he's got, what is it, Kevin O'Leary and, you know, right? He's got, two, he's got two fists. It's lies and it's accusation, and he uses them well. So he's going to whisper in your ear and mine things about God that just aren't so, and then when we fall for him, he's going to be the first one standing there and going, hey, on the justice of God, don't let that guy in. Don't let that girl in. And this is where the hope of the gospel comes in. Because justice has been served because Christ has covered your account if you're a Christian. And if you're not, you're standing on your own merit. And my hope would be that today you would hear something different, that you don't have to. That you don't have to fight against Satan and his schemes alone. And you certainly don't have to stand against God on your own righteousness because you're far from it. You can stand in Jesus and that comes just by trusting in him, by confessing your sin and saying, Jesus, I can't do it. You've done it. Hide me in you. That's the beauty of the gospel. As a church, man, when I think about this issue, I think about what it would be like if we really believed the gospel more and more every day. How emboldened you and I would be to go to God in prayer and then to open our mouths in evangelism and to say what's so and just have those gospel conversations. 
and watch the truth of the gospel start to break through the lies and really start to transform people's lives and start to transform this city. That's what this place needs. It needs a church that wears the armor of God, and my hope is that embassy would be that more and more. So let me pray to that end. And then, uh, like I said, I want y'all to make a big splash for Adult Swim. And so, uh, yeah, let's just praise the Lord um, for what he's done for us. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for uh, just your word. And um, we thank you that it says what's so. And we confess, um, I confess, Lord, that um, I'm such a product of my times. And if I fall in any ditch, it's the ditch of the materialist. It's underestimating Satan and his schemes. It's buying in um, to almost the comic nature of him being a man dressed in red tights with a pitchfork. But that's just not so. That doesn't line up. There's evil in this world. There's brokenness. There is pain. And your word gives a better word than any other word I've ever heard as to why that's so. And so, uh, we just thank you. We thank you that you've triumphed over evil. You've tri triumphed over sin and death, that there is victory in the cross. And yeah, we want to stand firm in the gospel, that that victory is ours, not because we earned it, not because we deserve it, but just because we asked for it. And you graciously gave it. So I pray for this room. I pray for every single soul in here, that they would be people that wear your armor, not their own. They wouldn't put on Saul's by effort and energy and go out into the day, but they walk out into the day strapped with your power, able to take it on, able to stand firm in their marriages, in their parenting, in their workspaces, in their friendships, in their families. They'd go out in your power and they'd be beautiful ambassadors for you. We love you, Lord. We praise you and we ask these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about us or to get connected, please visit embassybtown.org.